everyone, it's Paul, and this is the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast. We believe goodness is a successful strategy for good leadership. Our purpose is to spark positivity and what's possible thinking in leaders like you so you can radiate goodness today and every day. I'm the founder and CEO of Good Leadership Enterprises. Our mission is to spread goodness because we believe goodness pays. This podcast is being recorded in the Aspiration Suite of our offices in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I make my living as an author, executive coach, and professional speaker. You can find out more about us at goodleadership.com and check us out anywhere you can find podcasts like this. And as always, we invite you to leave ratings and reviews and comments. Today we are doing something a little different here. You'll notice we are not featuring a speaker from our Good Leadership Breakfast series as we have previously. This is one of several podcasts that's going to be all about sharing what I've been working on for the last three and a half years. It's the why, how, and what related to our How Goodness Pays book project. With me today is my good friend, client, and someone I really admire, Paul Hillen. He's the Chief Commercial Officer at J.M. Swank. Will you give us a one-minute overview of who you really are, Paul? Sure. I mean, I'm just a Midwestern kid, grew up in Green Bay, youngest of of seven, and then I uh, went to Marquette University in Milwaukee, started my career at P&G, spent 15 years there, and uh, then another 15, 16 years at, at Cargill, and most recently as chief marketing officer there, and then now I work for a private equity firm that, that owns J.M. Swank that you uh, mentioned. Then I also sit on a couple of nonprofit, a couple of for-profit boards, and then I'm also reserve, uh, um, uh, involved in a local cattle company, Revere Cattle Company, uh, helping helping a local farmer launch his brand. So having a lot of fun. Well, you also have four really wonderful children as well. Yeah, four kids and a great wife, Karen, uh, you know, keeping the home front. So yeah, things are good. Great. Uh, the purpose of this particular podcast and the reason I introduce you to Paul Hillen is because we are explaining the why behind the How Goodness Pays book project. Um, so, Paul, you and I partnered on this. We've been working on it for years, three and a half years. So will you start by telling us why were you interested in this project? And that includes maybe how you and I met and some of the things that have happened along the way. So, you know, why were you interested in this? Yeah, well, I think there are two big reasons. One is there's a need, right? And, and some of you listening might say, is there really a need for another leadership book? But the way that we're writing this and our approach, I think there is a need, and there's not another one out there like it. So that's the first reason is, is I saw a need in 30-plus years um, of, of business experience, of, of working for and observing a lot of other companies. The second was the, you know, I'll call it a metamorphosis. I mean, the transformation that I personally went through that, you know, is, is a bit of the foundation of this book. I mean, you and I met because I was part of a leadership program at Cargill, which is you know, was great. Cargill invested in me. And part of that was 360 degree feedback and you got an executive coach. And so you became my executive coach. And I was, you know, in fact, I think you, you know, you described my leadership style as a bag of hammers, right? I mean, and, and everything was a nail, right? I approached it the same way and pretty tough, right? And, and while I don't think I was exhibiting bad leadership, but, but the whole idea of being, being better or, or, more behaviors around goodness is, is probably what I needed. And so, uh, you know, and, and I had this epiphany through the 360 feedback that, which is kind of the time when you came in where I, I was evaluated by my peers and people who work for me as having a low trust 
uh, element here. And I thought, trust, I mean, do people think I'm stealing or what, what's the deal? And you helped walk me through that feedback, which is, it wasn't anything like that. It was around sincerity and your motives is that people said, because I was so direct and so straightforward and so organized where I'd meet him, you know, invite him to a meeting and just to simply jam my ideas down their throat that I really wasn't putting them first and that the perception, not necessarily how I uh, really wanted it to, what my intent was, there was, I was being perceived as they just, I just invited them here to jam the ideas down my throat. And so I think that's, that's important that um, as I went through this change and I said, you know, when you and I were talking about it, you know, you said we've been talking about it for three, three and a half years. I said, there are a lot of other people like me out there who have been successful. I was a pretty successful executive when you and I met, but we could be even much more successful. And because it was a blind spot for me, I knew there were thousands of others out there who had a similar type blind spot. So it was, which fits into my first reason is that there's a need. Yes. There's a need for it out there. Well, the, similarly, I'm interested both professionally because I run a leadership consulting firm. We primarily make our living through executive coaching. So we saw that need. We wanted to substantiate with real research the value proposition that we bring to the market. Yeah. But I also like you in your 360 moment. Uh, I had a very personal moment, and it relates to my grandmother. Um, my grandmother, Arlene Hunter, died at the age of 103. She was an extraordinary woman. I got to know her the best in the many, many years after my grandfather died. And she always took a really big interest in each of us as grandchildren. And on March 17th in 2009, the phone rang at 7.15 a.m. at my house. And I picked it up and it was my grandmother. And she said to me, um, hey, I'm, I'm calling all my grandchildren today. I'm really tired. I started with you because you're my first one. And she said, I'm calling to give you the message that you are a good man and the world needs men like you to radiate goodness. And she said, that's it. Hmm. And she hung up. That's a great story. And I thought to yep. myself, wow. And then when I got home that night from work, my wife said, hey, I got a phone call. Your grandma died today in hospice. Wow. Oh. So that moment was kind of haunting me for a long period of time. That was also kind of the worst of the beginning of the worst of the worst in the economic meltdown that, of, of our lifetime. Yeah. And so it was only six months later that I went out and started my own firm. And the first thing that thought to me was, okay, my grandmother... <laughs> told me to go out and radiate goodness. And so there have been many situations like the coaching engagement with you. There are dozens more. There are, and I see it. You know, I mentioned I work for a private equity firm here, and my son, who's 24, soon to be 25, uh, he's now on to his second company, but he started in the tech startup world. And just the stories of, of how, you know, there's this generation and who, who have done all of these tech startups, phenomenally smart people with great ideas, but has anybody really taught them the principles of leadership and good leadership? And, you know, uh, uh, more of those types of companies fail than succeed. We tend to hear about the, the ones that, that succeed, and the question is, if we gave more of these younger leaders these principles earlier in their career that took me, you know, 30 or 25 years to learn, could these be more wildly successful? And I see it too in private equity. You know, the firm that I work for owns over 40 companies, and there are a lot of small and mid-sized companies, and people grew fast. And before they knew it, they went from a small company to a medium-sized company, 
but did they really have that coaching and training that I was lucky enough to have with you? And so when I said it's all about the need, I think there's a huge need out there in the current environment where you have all these startups, you have people that are not getting the coaching and training that they would traditionally get. Um, and I think, you know, this can be a really compelling book for those folks. Okay, so we promised to talk about how this book got started and why we decided to do it. And I remember coming to you and telling you about a breakfast meeting that I had with Richard Davis. Richard Davis is, uh, was the CEO and now is the retired CEO of U.S. Bank at the time. I got to know Richard because I was a coach on the team that helped him transition from the previous leader, the Grundhoffers, into his role at, at U.S. Bank. And we've had a friendship and he's also been a client. And I told him about this idea that I had about writing about goodness and the idea that it would pay in business. And after we talked about it, he said, I would be positively inclined to support this. Those were his exact words. Um, because he also saw a need. Uh, they touch a lot of companies as bankers. They're always investing in the story and the promise of their clients. And if he knew that there was a way that they could help these people be led better to, frankly, reduce the risk to the bank, then he was really, really interested in this. When I said that to you, it kind of turned this light bulb on in you saying, you know, Cargill is actually working on brand research and interested in this word thrive. And so maybe I'll just toss it back to you there and to kind of continue the story. Yeah. And, you know, as I said, I was the CMO of Cargill at the time and we, we were coalescing around this idea that if you did business with or worked with Cargill people, that you'd be more successful and that the height of success, the, the, the pinnacle of you can't be more successful is when you're thriving mm -hmm. and that, but you can only be a thriving company if you also have leaders who thrive and can help others thrive. And so it was, it was perfect. It was a perfect fit. You talked about the mission of your business and radiating goodness. Yeah. Our mission was helping all of our stakeholders, including our employees, but especially our customers, even our suppliers to thrive. And it, came together perfectly because the principles were really uh, the same. Our brand promise of helping others to be more successful ultimately would help them be more successful financially as well as with leaders and would help Cargill to be more you know, successful as well financially and to attract and retain better talent. Yeah, so, and, and the definition that we, we use when people say, what do you mean by goodness, is the idea that people thrive together, both personally and professionally. And that was the connection we saw and so making the bridge of leadership, good leadership, from what Cargill is trying to do, what good leadership is trying to do, is the, the same thing. Yeah. There's another reason that this made sense, and that is that um, I've been doing professional speaking for a long time. And ever since I started this firm, we've been using audience response technology to survey people that we speak to. And... I learned from a researcher that you and I partnered on this, Jerry Miola, uh, many, many years ago about how to do audience response research. And what we've learned now is that when we survey people early on and ask, do you believe goodness pays in business? Simplest question ever. Do you believe goodness pays in business? Four out of five people, 80% say yes or absolutely. The 20% get divided by I don't know or no or absolutely not. So 20% sure. of the people out there don't believe, but 80% do. The most important statistic we've collected, though, is out of that 80%, only half of them are satisfied or happy consistently with their financial results. And so I saw this project as a way to 
approach a population that already believes goodness pays and teach them how to make it pay financially. But I don't know anything about research. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you knew a lot about it. And you were really interested in this idea of pays as being financial business results. So uh, will you help continue that part of the story? Yeah, and if, if you remember when we talked about it, because I said, and, and I was a bit of a skeptic too when we first met, right, going back to the initial coaching. And I said, yeah, this stuff feels a little fluffy. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is kind of yeah, some soft term, BS. Fluffy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the technical, that's a business term. And I thought, you know, there are going to be a lot of other people out there just like me, is that if we don't prove it, and if it's about – changing your behaviors and how you live your life and those kinds of things, you know, how to be a better person, all, all nice, all good stuff. But if we didn't link it to better financial results, because ultimately, if you want to progress in your career, you have to get the results. It's just as simple as that. Even if, like you, you own your own company, right? If yep. you don't get the results, yep. you and everybody else who works mm -hmm. at your firm are out of a job. That's right. So ultimately, we had to tie it. And that's the connection to the pays piece. Mm -hmm. And so pays is the financial results. And what the proof was, which we both believed, and, and as we talked to a lot of leaders in small, medium, and large-sized companies, they believed it as well. But we said to the skeptics, we really needed to prove it to them, which is why we needed to get the data behind it with the research to go out there and say, people who exhibit these behaviors, who also have the people who work for them identify those behaviors, those goodness behaviors, um, do they work at companies that have better financial results than others? Hence the pays. So the good behaviors linking to uh, the pay is part of it. And, and if you remember, when we did the literature search as part of the initial thinking on the book, when we said, does the world really need another leadership book? We said, there's nobody else out there talking about this. That, that you'd think it's, it's kind of common sense, but common sense isn't always common practice, right? We and so, you know, that's the critical part of the research is that what this book does is it goes out and gets the empirical evidence, statistically significant evidence with a very solid research methodology and research firm that if you exhibit these behaviors, the goodness, it will pay. You'll get better financial results as, as a leader and your organization will thrive, right? I mean, that's, that's the crux of this thing. And to this day, we still haven't discovered anybody else out there is talking about it just this way or has that has the research component that, that we have. Well, that's one of the reasons it's exciting to me, but also as a coach. We know that when our clients start asking us how questions, not the why questions. So initially there's pushback and people are trying to wrap their head around something because you don't really hear the word goodness used in business maybe ever. It's a word you hear from your grandmother, like that's right. I had, yep. right? Yep. Or maybe in some sort of worship. And you sure don't hear radiate goodness. No, that's for right? Sure. So radiate, you know, radiate other things maybe, yeah. but goodness, <laughs> no. Um, and when you put that word out there, you watch people kind of go through this mind pretzel where they're going, what did you just say? And you talk about it and you get them comfortable with the idea of people thriving together personally and professionally. When they start to ask the how question, for us, that's a signal that we need to rush right in with some solutions that they can go, okay, that sounds reasonable. I'm willing to try it. Yeah. What? Well, and I think, too, if I can interrupt you, mm -hmm. it's, it's intuitive, I think. People, when you say goodness pays and then you describe what goodness means, right? You know, rewarding excellence and, and um, being fair to individuals and those other principles, they get it. 
But then when you say, okay, how do I go do that? That's where it's, it's hard. They get the principle, but the how do they do it? Because they'd be doing it already, right, if they knew how to do it. And so I think the how component is really going to be critical. It's a, it's a guide with a set of tools on how to get there. Yeah, so to your point, when we got started trying to answer the how question, we, we took a values-based approach. And that meant we discussed with people what does goodness look like and feel like. And through sort of calibration that, once again, Jerry helped me figure out how to do this with focus groups, we landed on these four principles that we now call the cornerstones of goodness. And for years, we wrote and talked about it, but we didn't research it yet till I met you. And those are the ideas that excellence, generosity, fairness, and positivity make up the four cornerstones. But the behaviors are about rewarding excellence, living generously, promoting fairness and spreading positivity and we watched executive teams start to reevaluate their norms and how they got results based on running them through filters there so what i'm so excited about this project now is we've been able to zero in on what we call these five goodness factors which really are the behaviors and and literally behavioral outcomes that if they're present in your organization we believe, and we've proven now with research, yeah. that you will thrive in terms of financial results. And, be- and before you even talk about those, if, if that's where you're going, I think it's important what you just went through of the four cornerstones. That's the definition of goodness. And so when I think it's important for people to understand that when you say goodness, as you just said, you know, how often do people use the term goodness in business? Well, if you stop there, they're going to say, okay, this is kind of the fluffy stuff. Then when you talk about those four cornerstones, you say, well, of course, that all makes sense. So I think if you define it and then you ultimately get into here's the how you do it. So here's the what, the four cornerstones is your definition of goodness. Now here's how you go demonstrate those through your daily behaviors. People look at us and say, well, of course, that makes perfect sense. But if you leave it at just goodness pays, right, you got to get deeper. Yep, but so that's that's why we wrote the book, right? Absolutely. You, and nobody else research. is digging that deep. Well, our one of our next podcasts is really about how we actually did the research. We're inviting Jerry Miola in here, and we'll get a chance to talk about. Sure. She was our research partner, exactly how we did that. But I think it's fair now to maybe kind of round third base. Um, it's I think it's pretty clear about why we did it. So let's kind of jump to what it is one of the most important things that you think that you learned in this process that literally changed how you're leading today. Yeah, I, well, I think that, um, well, what I learned from the overall project, maybe that'll be part two, but but the end of your question of how am I leading today, I think is is probably key, is I never, you and I have talked about it for years, ever since I knew you were on this whole positivity piece and radiating goodness, but really the positivity, because I tend to be a guy that's more glass half empty than full, which means you don't immediately go to positivity, you go to the constructive fix, mm-hmm. which my background is I'm kind of a fixer. You, know, you come in and you take businesses that aren't doing well. And when you tend to be glass half empty, you say, what's wrong with this situation? Yep. Mm-hmm. Then I fix it, mm-hmm. right? So to me, that was a big piece. And we learned that in the research as well. So we, we confirmed that approach. And so for me personally, I have to remind myself to be positive, And I think I've changed enough of the muscle memory where I tend to be more predisposed that way than I was certainly uh, before. I think the other thing, too, is around fairness and the definition of fairness or one of the definitions around being a decisive leader. 
is it's unfair to people to continue to, to not make a decision, to not give them feedback. And we learned through this, and the research supports it, we've got the data, that people who report to leaders say great leaders or good leaders who get good results make decisions, they live with them, they take responsibility for them. And that was a, that was a big aha, more or less. And again, like all good research, once you see it on paper, it's kind of common sense. Yeah. But as you and I talk about all the time, common sense is not always common practice. My other takeaway, just simply from, you know, a bit more of an aha, and maybe because I was more of the skeptic when we said we got to go write this thing, was are people going to look at this and say, ah, geez, a book on goodness pays, and, you know, is goodness a little bit too soft, and is it really true? And since you and I have been talking about it and, you know, been out giving a few speeches and just talking to folks about it, you doing it in your daily practice and me doing it in other circles, the number of people who continue to ping me to say, when is it coming out? I'm excited that it's coming out. I haven't heard anything else like this. You know, you, you guys said you're going to publish it soon. When, when is it? That was a bit surprising to me because we got some feedback. You mentioned Richard Davis before. Uh, you know, I work for Greg Page, who's now the retired CEO of Cargill, one of the best leaders I've ever been around. And both of them kind of looked at us and said, ah, you know, does the world really need another leadership book? And yeah. you know what? Now that we've got this research and we've, we've seen the reaction from other people, yes, the world needs a leadership book around goodness pays. There's no doubt in my mind. Well, if you're one of the regular listeners to this podcast, you will recognize Paul Hillen as the person who spoke at the March Good Leadership Breakfast, and he talked about his excitement for this project. So uh, the, for me, the takeaway was this, that we literally confirmed a framework with world-class research around five things that every one of our clients needs to be doing. And I will state those things really quickly here, and then very soon we'll have another podcast that goes deeper into all five of these things. And once again, should be no surprise, but the first thing is that in order for goodness to pay, your business has to have a compelling plan that the employees get excited about. That seems so simple, but we seldom find yeah. it when we go in and do our, our assessments. The second thing is to build commitment around the idea that profits are healthy for everybody in the business. That's that thrive together concept. The If the rank and file don't believe their life's going to get any better because the organization got more profitable, then that's a problem. The third thing is that uh, it takes a team-based culture this today. The superhero leadership models, where people just swoop in and take over in a crisis, it, it just doesn't work anymore. Uh, partly, that's due to the fourth thing. Um, you have to gain employee respect by you know, timely and transparent decisions. It means you have to explain <laughs> your decisions <laughs> yeah. and get people involved. It, it just doesn't work. And finally, probably the most important thing is this concept we now call magnetic ethics. And it's leading in ways that literally attract the best people. The best customers, the best employees, the best community leaders want to be attached to your business. And a big part of that, remember, that we learned was, is, am I actually living with the consequences of the decisions I made? Yes. Kind of a walk the talk type thing, but, but saying it a little bit more deeper is that, yes, I made the decision. And if the results didn't work out the way we thought, I'm, I'm taking ownership and accountability as a leader. And the respect, and I think we saw that in the research, the respect that people have for those leaders is tremendous, 
right? And they're going to work harder for you if you do that, if you take that accountability for your actions and for your decisions. Well, very, very well said. So listeners, we really hope that you got to know Paul Hillen a little bit better. And if you continue to listen to this podcast, you'll get to know him even better because the next one in this series really is the how we went about the research. And that will include uh, Jerry Miola, who is our research partner. Okay, so Paul Hillen, it's time now to end our podcast the way we always do. And what's the most important concept we're trying to get across to everyone here? That goodness definitely pays. Yeah, I agree completely. It's goodness pays. It's also the title of the book. So thank you for investing your precious time with us, uh, whether that's exercising or during your commute. Maybe you're out laying in the sun or flying on an airplane to someplace special. As I said in the beginning of this podcast, future episodes go deeper into the Goodness Pays book project, and we will continue to present the speakers at the Good Leadership Breakfast as those occur. So thank you very much for spending your time. We hope to see you again soon.